I remember what it is now. Okay. Last week we talked about all the new rule proposals, and I'm sure our listeners were like super interested in knowing what rule 10.2-1 slash proposal from guy from wherever was. It was actually one of our higher rated shows, just so you know. But anyway. Huh. That we'll tells figure. me a lot. Tells me a lot. Here's my new rule proposal. Call it pro- rule 1.1. No hip quivers. Hip quivers not allowed. Field quiver only. Really? Well, I suppose that, you know, you got to go with all of one or all of another to have perfect harmony. Yes. Especially indoors. <clears throat> hip quivers should be made illegal. When you start mixing what we'd call a target quiver, hip quiver, with field quivers, ones that keep the arrows vertical, that is when clashes occur. Actually, no clash ever occurs with the field quiver. They're out of right. the way all the time. It's right. only it's the mix. The it's the mix. So here, here's nope. why. Nope, here's not why. the mix. If I, have a, if I have a field quiver on and the guy behind me has a hip quiver, he's still the problem. Yeah, I guess I guess so. Yeah. If I have a hip quiver on and he has a hip quiver on, we're both a problem. What do you think about the idea though of being able to look down and see which arrow you're pulling out of the quiver? I can turn my head and look down and see. True, true. Especially if you run it at say three o'clock. I mean it's it's uh it's not difficult. The the only reason I can see for a hip quiver, and we recently did a blog on this. Uh, one of our newer employees, Michael, did it. He's probably listening to me talk about this right now. He wrote a blog, and I made some revisions. And I didn't say in the blog, in my revisions, that hip quivers should be made illegal, but I thought it. Um, but we were talking about that, and I, and I put, you know, I think, uh, obviously, the top pros all use for the most part, vast majority, I can't say all because there's some guy out there who doesn't probably, but the vast majority of top pros use a field quiver. I think if you're like a, a mom or dad who's on a 3D course with like five or 10 kids and you need to pack a lot of crap and you're just unwilling to bring a chair, a shooting chair, or the shooting chair doesn't accommodate the amount of crap you need to pack, then a hip quiver becomes a viable option. Okay. Because it'll store a lot of gear. Yeah, I agree. However, one thing that you don't see in many archers, unless they're shooting field archery, is that extra small of the backpack or other stuff that you could use to carry the extra stuff. You say small of the backpack, like a fanny pack? Yeah, like that. More fanny packs, less hip quivers. That's waste what I, bag. I, Let's call it a waste bag. We've got a lot of listeners in the UK and we don't want to use that other term. Okay. Is it some type of, is it like when you use that one term over the audio at the London Olympics and they were like, George, we don't say that. It wasn't at the London Olympics. It was at the 1995 <laughs> World Indoor. And yes, that's exactly right. No, I thought you said they will. It was. No, that was in the 95 World. That was in the 95 World Championship. Was that also in uh, England? Yes, it was in okay. Birmingham. So same, and, same thing. And so I never, I, yeah. I, I, I was always very cognizant of how 
we have two cultures separated by a common language after that incident. And it did not happen at the London Games, thankfully. Oh, we're separated a lot... by a lot more than a common language. Well, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Judgment of beer temperature, for example. But anyway, moving on with your idea here, because it's, a, it's, a, it's an intriguing concept, right? Because field quivers, you know, it's that error orientation that's really the issue, right? And I will say, though, the field quiver lends itself to the spin a lot better than the hip quiver. Now illegal in NFAA competition, so I try yes. to not spin anywhere. But in world archery, oh, you don't want to create the heavy in plasticity, the muscle memory of of the spin. I take. Yeah, it. I can't. I can't train myself to just spin and spin and spin, spin my arrows out at a world archery event, and then go to an NFAA event and not spin. Don't you think the spin, spin is almost? One. Go ahead. You got to have the spin. I mean, to a degree. It doesn't have to be a full 360, but you've got to rotate the arrow to get it into position. Um, there's multiple ways to do it, you know. Sure. If if it needs instruction, I'm happy to provide it with a video of some sort, you know. I think I think a, a quick phone video would be the way to go. I think we should have the A-B comparison so that people understand visually what's going on. It's probably uh, it's probably a little late in the game to bring that video into play. You know, all those Perhaps. funny jokes got used up a couple years ago when the rule was implemented. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe we could bring it back. Yeah, we haven't had a so, podcast intro yet. This is true, but I think that you know people who are familiar with the podcast already recognize the fact that we are doing a podcast. Hi, I'm George Techmanchub here with the. Eastern Target Archery Podcast, episode number 136. With Steve the... Big Cat. I thought we did 135 last time. 136? You might want to check those numbers. You probably are right. And then come back in with that edited 136 like you've done before. I could do that if I have to. Yeah. Maybe it's 137 at this point. I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll go back and check. I'll check on the server and see exactly which one it is. You're probably right, though. You know, we do our best to try to keep track of this stuff, but it's it's tough. It's not easy. We have enough to worry about with new rules like Steve Anderson's new 1.1 rule that will be on the docket at World Archery Congress, right? You're working on that, right? I'm sure they care about that, yeah. Well, you know, there was there was at one time a proposal, just a proposal, to have all archers have their name on their quiver belt in a standard format instead of on the shirt. You know how the shirt has it all over the place. I mean, different countries have different, you know, there's no specific layout for the uniform. It's not like the NFL, right? Where you got to have a certain size number and certain size font for the name of the player and all that stuff. I thought they, there they, was supposed to be, but people just put it center back and go with that. But I thought it yeah. said it, it needed to be offset to the side of the shooting line away from the target. So it's always visible. When have you ever seen that except for a couple of different countries like Japan? Yeah, when have you seen I have that? seen a couple of countries do it. The issue there is, uh, you know, you of course get the left-hander and then your screen printer is doing some on the right and some on the left and they're confused and uh-huh. it just, 
it looks bad when everyone's standing in a line. It looks weird, like someone screwed it up. So yeah. center back and, is the way to go. And some people have different chest protectors that cover different parts of the shirt. I mean, that can become a, a fiasco. Oh, So I think center is the way to go. I agree. We're lucky that the lack of standardization of back names on jerseys hasn't brought down world archery in its entirety. Sure. We are. We're lucky. We are lucky. But back to your concept, you know, uh, here's the thing. For example, Easton makes both types of quiver. Now, you'd know, I, I don't know anymore, but you'd know, what which one is more popular of, of the hip or the field? Which one um, sells more? If you're talking, say, our elite model, yeah, which uh, is what most, uh, I'll call it intermediate to advanced level shooters use, we sell a lot more of the, of the field quiver. Yeah. In the, in the beginner models, such as the flip side, obviously we don't even offer that one in a field style. Right. Um, in, the, in the deluxe, which is like the mid-price version, it's probably about 50-50. But it, it's all heading towards field quiver. People are seeing the light. You know, another reason, of course, is because they travel really well. Yeah. Oh, they, they pack so much room. better. But yeah, our new elite, I mean. elite uh, hip quiver has the zipper. So you can actually take it apart you know, basically two piece it and get half the size. And then, uh, and that, that's pretty handy, truthfully. Yep. It is indeed in the, um, by the way, I heard Clint was making some special quivers for the Olympic team. They are dope. We're going to sell those or are you going to, um, just give them to the Olympic team? Are you going to have them available? I don't know the plan. I, I propose that we do offer it, you know, the, the following year or whatever. Um, I think you should. I think I think it'd be cool. I think people would enjoy it. You know, it, it's a it's an American motif design, which you know we are an American company, so. Um, I think you'd I sell think it a would few. be cool to do multiple nations. I think people would enjoy that. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and some companies do that, but you can only imagine the proliferation of part numbers left and right, 166 different flags. <laughs> I don't think you'd do all 166. No, but you know what you I do our major nations, of course. Um, yeah, or colors. You'd leave just, one yeah. out, then you'd, you know, it'd be a black eye. They would hate you forever. And true. Uh, true. Probably try to commit acts of violence against us or something you could do like one north korean quiver and send it to mr kim you could do that <laughs> whatever we would do would somehow spark a war it, it would yeah. be it would be the catalyst that's the danger ah, well as it stands you've already got plenty of color combinations and stuff to make people happy i think it'll it'll be fine but you know it's an interesting thought um i don't know about making it a rule but i do know that um uh, the field quiver does have some advantages, but I think the biggest disadvantage for target archers is that inability to look down, look at your knocks, make sure you're not pulling out something with a busted knock, et cetera, et cetera. I think though that we are seeing a shift um, you, to your point, you know, this weekend at the uh, upcoming FQT and world cup, uh, I would say probably 60% of the shooters overall are going to have field quivers. That's incredible. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, interesting thoughts, Steve. And, and in fact, the reason we're uh, 
podcasting today, uh, Thursday, the 17th of June, is because tomorrow starts the maybe highest pressure event, arguably, of the season. And that is the final qualifying tournament for the Olympic Games. I'm it is. Uh, I'm really excited to watch it. Yes. And it's going to be, um, you know, typical of the events that we've had so far this year. It's not going to have a big crowd of people there, but that won't matter to the shooters. It's going to be, if anything else, I, I would argue, and I've, I've made this point, you know, in an interview that WA did with me earlier this week. Uh, I really honestly believe the pressure that the shooters are going to feel at this thing, at least the ones that don't have a slot for the games yet, is arguably higher than what they'll feel in July at Yumenoshima in Tokyo, uh, the finals field for the yeah. Olympic Games. It's just like making the Vegas shootoff. Once yes. you make it, you're like, oh, sweet, I'm in. Like, you know, this is, I've accomplished it. I'm in. Really good analogy. And if we look at the uh, countries that are turning out for this, you know, it's a lot of countries um, that are smaller countries that really are going for the individual slot because they don't have either the depth or the number of shooters to send an effort for a team. And then we've got countries like ours, which is going to try to convert both the men's and women's individual slots to team slots. And it seems to me that, um, you know, the U.S. team is under a lot of pressure to try to accomplish exactly that. Yeah, there's, and yeah, there, there's pressure, yes, but honestly, both men's and women's team, the women's team is the strongest I've ever seen it. You have Casey, who's shooting in the 680s, shooting very well, and Mackenzie, who is always battling with her at every USA national event. Like, they're, they're constantly swapping who wins. Absolutely. So, if Casey's shoot capable of shooting that kind of score and Mackenzie's beating her regularly, that's good. And then the other girl would have been probably our number one girl at the last, uh, uh, Jennifer is her name. She probably mm -hmm. would have been the number one girl in 2012, 2008, you know, would have probably had a, a good shot at making the team in 2016 as well. So she's shooting well. She's a 640, 650 shooter from what I absolutely. Seen. Absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right. You're dead on with your analysis there. So it's a simple schedule for this weekend for the very last quota places for the Tokyo 2020 games. Uh, it's a three-day schedule. And Saturday, June 19th, the men's team. Sunday, June 20th, the women's team. Monday, the 21st of June, will be the individual slots. So what matters for the U.S. men and all the other men trying to make the team round cut is going to be Saturday the 19th. Sunday the 20th is the women's. And then um, all those other individual slots, which the U.S. is not eligible for. But countries like, uh, for example, U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, Nicholas Demore. Yeah. Uh, he, he'll be going for that kind of thing on Monday the 21st. So tomorrow, well, people don't know what today today is. Friday is Thursday, the 17th. Tomorrow's Friday. Yeah. As we so speak. Friday, the 18th will be uh, that that's their qual. They shoot a qualification round, right? A 72 arrow round. Correct. I believe so. Yes. And then, and then they see the team bracket from there. And then you said the men go on Saturday and the women on correct. Sunday. Correct. Interesting. So the, uh, the weekend is going to be packed full of archery, of course. And um, you're looking at a situation where official practice starts on Friday, June 18th, and it'll be practice for the men in the morning, for the women in the afternoon, 
Let's hope that the wind conditions and stuff are, are suitable for, for both categories. And then we've got um, the venue opening on Saturday morning for the qualification round for the recurve men, Steve. Uh, they'll get three practice ends and then game on. Uh, that'll that'll seed them for the FKT. Yeah. So they'll shoot a, a standard barrel qualification, add all three of them up, and then put together a team bracket to be shot that afternoon. Is that correct? Yes, sir. You got it. Exactly. That's what they're going to do. So the team matches will then take place in the afternoon. There will be three ends of practice, and then the top uh, eight can shoot, you know, uh, depending on where they're seated. Uh, you're looking at the team final qualification for the men, the one twelfth elimination. Within two hours, it'll be done. Um, so in fact, less, yeah. Are they taking – is it going to be top three teams again? Yeah, exactly. So that now, last you, time I got to announce it, they couldn't find anybody. We were in Antalya, and I was just sitting there. We had a day off. This is Compounders. And they had me announce the matches, and it was freaking awesome. Like, it was best – you could see – we were so excited for the bronze medal match. We didn't care about the gold. Right. The semis and the bronze, those were the matches to watch because sure. In the semis, you're in. Right. Lose the semis. Now you got the best bronze medal match to that the archery crowd could ever watch. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. You know, I same I've, way this time. Absolutely. Um, you know, I've I've had the same experience many times. I, I don't remember exactly how many of these I've done, but I can tell you. You just nailed it. It is absolutely true that the bronze medal match is the one that counts. Because after all, it doesn't matter if you win gold or silver, you're in. I don't, yeah, I don't even remember if they shot gold. Yeah, why bother almost? <laughs> I, I honestly don't know if they did. I mean, it it, uh, it says they do here on the schedule, but I don't remember. We didn't care. No, I don't think anybody would by that point. Yeah, they shouldn't shoot gold. What they should do is just save that 23 minutes that they have scheduled for it and, and just go home, celebrate. To the point you brought up a moment ago, uh, there is actually 23 places up for grabs and 70 countries looking for places. So obviously very, very for men and women are combined total. So there's 39 recurve men's teams and 28 recurve women's teams competing for the three available team quota places in each gender. So Three for men, three for women. So there's 28 recurve women's teams competing for three places. There's 39 recurve men's teams competing for three places. But those and, could and, theoretically only, you could only give away six new places. Yeah, maybe eight. Depends on what happens in New Zealand. Um, it hasn't been announced, but New Zealand may not be sending their shooters to Tokyo. Oh, well, I'm saying like if the up. top three teams in, in men all had an individual qualifier already, and you would only add six places. And I guess it comes out the same because those three excess places would then go to the individual FQT on Monday. Yes. There's a lot to, uh, there's a lot to keep track of here. Oh, if imagine you're, you're Tom Dillon right fan. now. Imagine Tom Dillon, who's responsible for tallying all this up and certifying the results. I mean, that's a high pressure situation for him right now because there's all sorts of, I mean, I don't even want to think about the math, but Tom likes um, that stuff though. He was always like the one who calculated the, uh, he was always the one who calculated the world cup final points. It seemed he was on top. of Yes. It, you know? Yes. Yeah. He's really good at it. So thank goodness that, you know, I mean, it's, 
there's no question that it's it's a high pressure thing to get it right. Um, now you got to remember that there's going to be a cut, so only 24 will advance for the eliminations. So that means qualification becomes even more important. Correct. Correct. And there's a, you know, I mean, it's really a situation where everybody's got to be at their best. You can't have one bad arrow, really. There's no room for a mistake here. And um, I honestly think that, you know, that does lend to the pressure. No question about that. It can be an uh, exciting now, weekend. Absolutely. And um, it'll be covered by World Archery throughout the weekend. There will be um, here in the United States, you'll be able to see it on YouTube much easier than dealing with the NBC stuff that was uh, taking place uh, year before last and part of last year. So it's really accessible for everybody around the globe to follow as this goes. Uh, the women's team event takes place on Sunday. It'll be the same as the men's event, just a, a somewhat fewer teams, 28 rather than 39 number of teams. And then you've got Monday, the individual, and that's what matters a lot for your smaller countries you know, places like the Virgin Islands. Yeah. And, uh, that's going to be, that's going to be just as interesting to watch. If you had to guess, Steve, um, based on what you know right now, who would your favorites be from the standpoint of, uh, well, let me back up. You've got long list of countries that you can look up on worldarchery.sport. That's a lot. That's a big lineup. Can you repeat them again? I didn't. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you're funny, man. <laughs> France, France, Germany, Italy, Malaysia, Mexico, Russia, and Spain, and the United States would be the shockers if they can't get spots. So at least five well, of those aren't, aren't yeah, going to get I'd spots. Yeah, I'd say a lot of those aren't going to get them. I think uh, that's men's side you read off, right? I've been paying close enough attention to see what Italy's full team is like. I think Germany and the U.S. are going to get two of those and then the third one i don't know italy's full team this year if they're as strong yeah. as they've been in the past uh they are not i mean yeah. obviously marco maro nespoli is in there yeah but, um the other guys are kind of um not as accomplished and you know i'm thinking spain might do very well they've got the yeah, european spain. champion in there they're a great team shooting team as well yes yes they've, yeah. they've adopted the coach lee method of be good at team shooting, like literally practice that because that's how you get in the games and that's how you get a medal at the games. So, I, yeah, that would be my pick, U.S., Germany, Spain. There's also, you know, um, just on a human level, I'd love to see Malaysia do well because Malaysia lost um, Hazik Kamarudin earlier this year. Uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, with his passing away, um, I think it would be a great thing, a, a nice human interest story and certainly uh, – a nice tribute to Hazik if they were able to qualify a squad, but I don't, I don't see it happening. Unfortunately, I, I don't think we're going to see surprises per se. I don't think we're going to see Uzbekistan step up and, and get it done. Not to, not, not to pick out or knock on anybody, but I, you know, it's going to be tough for Sri Lanka or, you know, the Mongolian men, for example, it's going to be tough about for those teams. Uh, we had our friend who was from, I can't remember, he was a German guy who was coaching in Chile, and then he went to Bangladesh, Martin. Yeah, yeah, Martin Frederick. Martin Frederick, is he still with Bangladesh? Yep, he sure is. I think they got a, I think they, they could be our, 
they could be a, a team to reckon with then. Yeah, I agree with you. I mentioned that earlier in the year. Uh, didn't quite come through the way that uh, I expected, but a Bangladesh archer did do well. Wasn't the one I picked, but uh, yeah, it's absolutely possible. You know, um, I'll also point out that you know Germany uh, has former French coach Mark Dellenbach, and so Germany has been pretty strong. Um, and I think that that could be interesting to see. Yeah, Russia, I, I, Russia could I be for strong. sure am big in Germany and the U.S. Um, yeah. I'm looking at. Yeah, Italy. I don't know their. I don't know their other two shooters. Um, well, I'll tell you what, uh, Chris from WA, he's picking Italy, Russia, and Spain. I agree with him about Spain. I think, I think Russia might do better than too. he thinks. Russia's yeah, always maybe. pretty good. Well, you you can't give up any points to Russia because they are a solid team. But yeah, that's why this is going to be so much fun and interesting to watch. Spain, though, I think, you know, it's very strong. If we look at the recurve women's teams, um, you've already got long list of countries that you can look up on worldarchery.sport. Now, huh, Mexico, that's a strong lineup. You've got Ida Roman in there. You've got Alejandra Valencia and Ana Vasquez, all experienced shooters. And you've got India. They're, they're a really good team. Deepika Kumari and Ankita Bakat, Komalika Bari. I mean, they're really good. Um, Georgia the women's has done well side in the past. Is crazy. The women's side yeah. is more competitive than the men's. Arguably, you're right. You're right. I wouldn't. I, mean, I wouldn't here's be surprised my to see USA, USA, Turkey, Mexico, Italy, maybe. Yeah. Uh, oh, India, for sure, Italy. Georgia, yeah. France. Spain, maybe Colombia, maybe that's my contenders. So I wouldn't be surprised to Denmark. see Colombia. Denmark could do well. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see Colombia do well. Um, I'm thinking France has a shot. I'm thinking France has a shot. I mean, they're on their home turf. They're the next host of the Olympic games. If they can deal with the pressure, France could have a shot at converting this from a single slot to a team slot. At the end of the day, this one is going to be a real dust-up. I really think India and Mexico are strong, but you've got uh, France in there. You've got uh, the United States, uh, as you pointed out, the strongest American team for decades. This is going to be fascinating to watch. Now, for your individuals, it's a long list, obviously, of, of places looking for individual spots. We're talking places like Iceland here. You know, um, I would not be surprised, though, to see Nicholas Demore make it to the games outright. He's he's applied for a waiver. You know, one of those four slots that's available through the discretion of WA. But yeah. I think he might be able to earn this one without having to get the waiver. I really think he can. You know, he's the top. He's in the top 10 in the world right now. Um, but, yeah. world ranking, you know, world ranking doesn't mean a thing. People may not understand the the waiver scenario, but that's there's World Archery has a discretion to choose a number in this case four of athletes to go, and they usually do that based off of sometimes geography, you know, yep. Uh, yep. attempt to grow the sport within a certain region, things of that yep. nature. Yep. I don't know who Absolutely. they picked last time. I think one might have been a, a Cuban guy. 
um, possibly a couple athletes from Fiji who actually yes. won some matches. Um, yes. It was, yeah, I, I don't know exactly who it was, but there is some of that. But it's that kind of thing, exactly. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's there for Olympic solidarity. It's there to provide encouragement for the smaller countries, places like Chad, right? Um, yeah. You know, places like Latvia or um, San Marino or Sri Lanka, places like that to try to, you know, places that don't have a huge program, but, you know, have a few passionate shooters and really are trying hard and can't get to all the tournaments, but, you know, it's to give them a shot at their Olympic dream. And I think that's pretty cool. How about um, Karma? Is she in? Yep, she's in. She's well, already good, in. Good question as to whether it's actually Karma. Bhutan has a slot. And Karma is the only Bhutanese archer to have shot the qualifying score. So logic says, yeah, it's going to be Miss Karma at the games. Um, so the best I of my knowledge. for anyone yeah. with one name and one name only. Uh-huh. Yeah. Absolutely. No argument here. If you look at this situation right now, um, you know, with the withdrawal of uh, North Korea, that's two additional slots. Uh, I believe that we are, you know, uh, not speaking out of school here, but I'm pretty sure New Zealand is probably not sending their team, their, their man and woman, to go to the Tokyo Games. And if that does develop, that's going to be two additional spots available then. Um, certainly it would be very convenient if they would make that decision before this event so that Tom doesn't have to, you know, uh, use a Rubik's cube to figure out who's going. But imagine, uh, right now, imagine ruining your athletes hard work for that. Cause you're it's a tough one. Fly them, go get a vaccine, go get the vaccine and go. Here's where it stands right now. You've got men representing 47 nations and women from 30 nations going for three men's spaces and two women's spaces. Now, like I said, the number of spots, you know, could change because of this. The other thing that's going to change the number of those spots is the team results. See, if you get a team slot, you give up your individual slot. So that goes back in the yeah, pool. That's what I was saying. Instead of, you know, when they finish the team finals, it may not be nine decided places it, it might only be six and then three right three slots go back into individual yeah you're going to end up with more and um almost certainly you know if you if you look at the odds odds yeah. are there will be more than just the three men's spaces and the two women's spaces potentially yeah. four four and uh three potentially could be six could be seven depends upon how things shake out so that's obviously going to have a big impact. And it also shows you the importance of the qualification round because that's going to matter. Uh, you know, where you finish in that qualifying round is going to have a big impact on where you fall into that uh, selection slot. And that will make a big difference. So a lot of pressure on every single shot. Yeah. You know what doesn't change, though, at all? Like everything else in archery, no matter what the scenario is, you're still trying to shoot the middle, right? Yep. Yep. In target archery, that's what it always comes back to. There's there's no other dynamic to the actual game. Just shoot at the middle. You can't defend the people you're shooting against. You know, it's that's why it's it's really it's really interesting to watch that. That is the ultimate truth, right there, Steve. Um, in spite of the pressure and everything else, the shooters simply need to do what got them to where they're at 
the stadium in Paris, which is shoot one arrow at a time and, and put it in the middle. And that's all it comes down to. It really does. It really shakes out to that. It doesn't matter whether it's for a slot at the Olympic Games or for, you know, a donut against your yeah. friends. It's, it's just execute the shot one after another. Yep. And it all comes down to the same thing. Now, next week is a big week of archery, even after this weekend with the FQT, because we've got the final World Cup stage of the season, which is also at the same venue in Paris. Practice starts on Monday. Uh, we've got compounds and recurves in there, and they're going to be shooting the usual, you know, World Cup stuff. Uh, this is the big event for the compounds, because this is going to decide the finalists going to Yankton. Uh, for the World Cup final in September, yeah, and it's a uh, it's a big turnout. Um, it looks like it's going to be a big event. Uh, again, probably not very many spectators, but you know this is going to matter, and it runs all week. Uh, you've got uh, practice on Monday, then Tuesday you got the qualifying round for the recurves. Wednesday you got the qualifying round for the compounds, and then the team matches start for the recurves. Uh, Thursday you've got the compound and the mixed teams, as well as the individual matches for the compound men and women. Friday, you've got the team matches for recurve and compound. And then you've got the finals for compound on Saturday and recurve on Sunday. So next Saturday, not this upcoming one, but Saturday, June 26th, a date that will live in infamy, my birthday. <laughs> oh, uh, happy birthday. Uh -huh. Anyway, that... Uh, that is going to be the compound team finals. And then That's, Sunday, the 27th yeah. is a uh, recurve. And that, like you said, world cup season's over at that point. Yeah. Well, at least until the world cup final, which will take Correct. place after the world championship in Yankton. Yep. Now, Linda is there. Yeah, she'll be there. And she is, you know, obviously in the running for, earning one of those slots to represent the United States at, uh, at Yankton. I would say that, uh, you know, since the U S has, um, the, as the host, we get a slot and she is the top ranked, one of the top ranked American women. Um, all, she has a shot at it. Four of the American women are really close. Yeah. Basically what I see, um, the two that finish the highest will probably make it. It'll probably be two of them. Yeah, based off where yeah. they're at in points right now. So the two that finished highest at this event will will most likely be the ones who who make the final. Yeah, I would say that you're right. I think you're looking at a situation where we have a highly competitive American women's compound team. Oh yeah, they dumb this year. They've won both events. They crush. So besides Linda Ochoa Anderson, we've got Paige Pierce, past world champion, Alexis Ruiz, uh, who has been ranked number one in the world. Savannah Vanderweer, uh, representing the United States for the women's team. Correct. Men's team. Men's team, another strong team. This this is, uh, you know, it's kind of an all-star American men's team. Braden Galantine, world champion. James Lutz, world champion. Chris Schaff, World Cup champion. Real Wild, what, eight-time world champion? Something like that. So that's a highly experienced team as well. And I think that, uh, you know, they've got some tough competition, no doubt. Remember, you've got Mr. Perfect there, among others. And uh, I think it's going to be a highly competitive event. Always is. And I think this will be the, the 
most well attended of the World Cups thus far. So it it should be should be a good one. It'd be fun to watch. And there's you know number of number of those people you've already mentioned have already qualified for Yankton. Um, Mike Braden. So we'll see uh, we'll see if some of the others can have a good result and get in on the top seven or eight or whatever it is. Um, yep. whatever I mean, you've got, you've got superstars, Stefan Hansen and, uh, uh, Sergio Pagni. I mean, oh, you know, there's great so seeing many, him back. There's so many good shooters right now that you, you can, you can look down the list of qualifications, see guys who are very good shooters and they're like, 23rd in qualification. You're like, well, what is, you know, what is going on? Men's compound is deep. This is, this is where it, again, going back to what we talked about in the last podcast, it, there's a fine line between having a good day and shooting a pair of 355s and having a mediocre day and shooting a pair of 352s. And that 710 to 704 can be 15 places. Right. Yep. Yep. So there, that doesn't, it doesn't take a whole lot to shift you from one, one score to the other. And it's just full of guys who are capable of that right now. Very competitive. Absolutely true. And I think, you know, if we look at the, um, the big factor, I believe that weather is going to be pretty good for the entire week. Uh, everything we're seeing indicates yeah, we're going to have some light rain, to be sure. Saturday, Sunday uh, are going to be rainy for the FQT. Uh, in fact, Sunday could be quite rainy. Monday will be rainy. But then when the World Cup starts, sunshine, 70 degrees. Yeah, it's always hard to know a, a local scenario. I mean, for example, we were you know, shooting team trials in San Diego. If you're on target, that, that particular field we were on sits on the crest of a hill, like a crown of a hill. Yes. Um, if you're on target one, two, three, you really feel a lot of the wind. And what's interesting is you feel it as a shooter, but the targets are kind of protected by a storage shed and some large trees. So you have to basically, you're feeling a lot of wind thinking, oh, I got to hold, you know, left side. And, but the arrow won't move. It gets out of the bow. What most people don't realize is your, your wind drift generally comes as your speed decays. So right out of the bow, if your arrow is getting hit by wind, it's generally not an issue. If it can make it halfway down range and be protected, you're not going to move very much. If In this particular stadium, the front half of the range and then gets to the end and gets hit by wind, it's going to blow quite a bit. Yes. So every Partly because the archer can't that. feel it. Yes, absolutely yeah. true. You know, if you look at the uh, conditions uh, as they're forecast right now by the French Meteorological Agency, we're looking at uh, most of that rain will actually happen overnight on Saturday and Sunday. So it might not impact the archers too much. Winds of between two and six miles an hour. So that could be ideal for Saturday and then Sunday. You know, a steady breeze, nine miles an hour or so. But uh, I think the women will be able to handle it. No problem. Overcast both days. Perfect conditions for recurve. You want overcast. Yeah, it, it helps with the string blur, right? Yes, it does. It keeps you, it consistent. My understanding is you want whatever you whatever it is, you want either you want it to be consistent, like bluebird day, no clouds, so it's bright, or flat light all day, no no sun shining through, no change in light condition. 
Agreed. Lots of world records are shot in really, really light rain conditions. Um, just so long as those clouds hold up and are consistent, shooters tend to shoot higher scores. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Uh, but I, you know, this could be spectacular. Um, and so really looking forward to seeing this. And of course, we'll catch up next week, Steve, um, midweek, let's say, to debrief what happened with the FQT. We'll have Tom Dillon on as well. Uh, if we can, you know, <laughs> get him away from his spreadsheet and laptop and uh, and really break down the final shooters going to Tokyo, because that's so important to so many countries. And uh want to thank you for taking the time today. Last bit on that last topic, what you said about lighting. If you're sitting at your computer, type in on Google Brady Ellison 702 and look at what the clouds or the sky looks like behind the photos of him. It's um, it's like a, um, a, a, just a slight mist, but it's flat gray. There's no yeah sunlight shining through. When Daryl Pace set his decade-long FITA world record in Japan, it was light mist, slight rain, and steel gray skies. Yep. Uh, I've way. seen, I've been to many events that, that world records were set, and almost always it was really either cloudy, raining just a bit. I remember seeing Takahara Furukawa shoot a perfect 120 in the Asian games. Raining, right? But the sky was consistent. The wind wasn't really doing much and shot two sixties in a row. Pretty amazing. Right. That's so a, that kind of thing. That's the way it is. It's how you want it. Yep. And so they're going to get it. It's looking like really good weather for Paris this weekend. Yeah. What are you exciting. doing this weekend? Besides watching uh, what happens in Paris, what are you going to do? Well, it's uh, Father's Day. I so you got to take your dog home. somewhere. I'm going home for Father's Day, and then I'm ah. actually leaving leaving the dog with my parents because I Linda will be in Paris, and I'll be going to uh, the ASA next week. So he's getting he's hanging out with with his cousin, their dog, and uh, gonna gonna stay there for the week. I'm sure nice. they're excited to have two dogs that can just wear each other out. Um. On the way home, I'm going to stop and do some fly fishing. And, you know, in the during all that time, I'll, I'll be watching the results come in. I, the nice thing is the results, everything will come in in the morning for me. I'll see all the, the good action yep. know, before, yep. before lunch, basically. Exactly. We'll, we'll already know here in the U.S. We'll already know by mid-morning. And yep. uh, I think that'll be nice stuff to wake up to for those of you who aren't going to be following it live. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the important thing to remember is when you have two dogs that are outdoor dogs that like to run around and stuff, you got to taper off their expectations toward the end of the week, or they're going to be in that hyper mode when you get back and your dog is going to have higher expectations of you. How are you going to handle that? You know what? My dog is an English pointer. He is always crazy a little bit. So I'm not going to change that much. I can attest to that. This is a dog that like, I have a GPS collar for him. I can watch how fast he's running at any given moment, how much, you know, how far he's gone. So when I take him out on a walk, I, uh, 
I can watch his tracks and I can see how far away from me he is and all that fun stuff. And uh, if I walk one mile, he does about six to seven in that sure. amount of time. So that's just how they are. I'm not a lot of zigzagging involved when you're a dog, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if he gets after some birds or gets on the hunt or whatever, he can really cover some ground. I remember, yeah, one time I, I looked and he was like 1,200 yards away from me. He's <laughs> just, it's probably out of hearing range. You know, he might be able to hear me shouting if the wind is right. But um, I text Linda. I said, I might need you to come help me get him. He, he might not remember how to get back to me. And within three minutes, I sent her another text. Oh, he's back. So <laughs> no question. Yeah. He covers some distance pretty quick. So, you know, recently I was um, toying with the idea of adopting an Australian cattle dog, which is my favorite dog. And then I realized just exactly how much effort is required to keep one of those guys occupied. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a, it's a lot, especially See, if, if I could like to get out of the house like you right. like to go right up the canyon, you know, now you're, now you're putting the dog up and he's, he's not loving that. Well, I'd figure out a way to bring him with me, throw some doggles on him and put him on the back of the bike. Maybe stick him in a, a bag and put him no, on throw your a back. milk crate on there, you know, something safe, you know? Yeah. It's get doable. him a, get him a, get him a leather dog suit or something. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but those Australian cattle dogs are amazing. Everyone I've met is, is so intelligent. You feel like you could just sit down and have a nice game of chess and a conversation. They're, they're awesome yeah. dogs. They are cool. The more I learn about every breed of dog, the more I think they're smarter than most people. Some of them are. 